Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name is Cal Peternell, and um, I'm the author of, most recently, Almonds, Anchovies, and Pancetta. I also wrote 12 Recipes and a Recipe for Cooking, and I'm the host of the Cooking by Ear podcast. Growing up in the late 70s and early 80s, it was my understanding that meat was the center of the American plate. I mean, the message, beef, it's what's for dinner, got drummed into our heads. Talk about the idea of being vegetable-focused. You know, if you go farther back than that, uh, because I know what you're talking about in this, the, the beef is what's for dinner campaign and all that, but if you go... Um, farther back, all the way back, people have been eating um, this way for a long time where they eat a lot of vegetables, grains, greens, beans, and they use a little bit of the right kind of meat, mostly cured pork or cured fish, um, to add a little savor to it. You know, to, And also, it's, a, it's an economical way to eat where you don't have to have a big roast. You can have just a little smoked, um, you know, smoked pork, uh, like a ham hock or something like that, that you throw in with the greens or a little bit of cured anchovies that you put in your salad or you put, um, you know, just to give, to give so that you can feed a lot of people with a lot of, um, of vegetables and just add that little extra deliciousness with a small amount of the right kind of meat. And it's really the way that I like to eat and my family likes to eat now. And I think a lot of people uh, like to eat that way. It's not that we're vegetarians. It's just that we really love vegetables and um, we want to eat a lot of them. Take me through the thought process of narrowing down this cookbook to three main ingredients. Um, well, you know, I always, I always had this fantasy about opening uh, a restaurant that would be called uh, anchovies and pancetta, because those would be the only kinds of meats that were served there that we'd be doing, like I say, lots of vegetables and salads and stuff, and just be seasoning them with the meats like that. And um, I was actually at an event in New York at the 92nd Street Y, and I was talking about that, and I said, you know, maybe I should, could write a cookbook like that, and my editor and agent were both in the audience, and they both perked up, and... Um, we talked about it afterwards and, you know, we came up with this idea that um, we could come up with a book that had uh, three chapters, uh, one for each of those ingredients. So it's almonds, anchovies, and pancetta. And I guess the way I chose them is, um, you know, there's more than those three ingredients um, flavoring the dishes in this, in this book. So there's almonds in the, in the almond chapter, but also other kinds of nuts, uh, walnuts, hazelnuts. And in the anchovy chapter, there's also things like um, botarga and shaved bonito and fish sauce. And of course, in the pancetta chapter, there's all kinds of cured pork. Um, but those are the ones that I use the most to kind of deliver a little extra fat. Uh, of course, anchovies and pancetta deliver salt as well, but there's something more that they bring, you know, it's more than because you could just add salt. I, I feel like um, I've come to believe that they represent a certain amount of time. And, and all food, if you think about it in a way, is sort of like 
an artifact of the time it, it made for that it took for it to to either grow on the tree or for the fish to you know reach maturity in the ocean or the or the livestock the pork the pigs on the farm but then if you cure um like fish or or pork there's extra time that's going into it and it's sort of a shortcut you know because i love to do like um long cooked dishes like last night i cooked a pork shoulder you know and i seasoned it the day before and it and then i uh, brought it to room temperature for a couple of hours and then i braised it for a couple of hours and i I love that um but you don't always have time for that uh so by using these these ingredients that already kind of one of the things they have in them in addition to salt is time not the herb but the actual hours um and so you're kind of shortcutting you're getting that depth of flavor that you might get from long cooking, but you're just doing it in in the moment because that pancetta has already got the time in it that gives it that depth. Speaking of salt, you say cooking is so much about salt. Why is that? Um, well, you know, these ingredients, of course, uh, the nuts aside, the um, all there's so many. Uh, things that are considered delicious delicacies now that are born out of, um, out of the ability to use salt to, um, to preserve food so that when you have an abundant catch, uh, you know, you eat all the fish you can right now, but you can't eat it all now. So you have to figure out a way to make, to make it last in case you in case tomorrow there's no fish in the net and salt is what allows you to do that. And the same with, with pork, um, you know, there's a there's a scene that I've always loved from um, Grapes of Wrath when the when the Jode family is packing up their farm and getting ready to to head west, and they they have a couple of pigs and they slaughter them and they um, they take the chunks of meat and they pack them in these barrels full of salt, uh, and then they roast the rest of it, the ribs and the bones and the stuff that won't really work being salted, and they just you know they have like a feast of pork, but they can't eat it all. So they they pack it in salt and and you know bring it with them and eat it over the next over the months on the road and um, I feel like that you know salt salt is what makes that kind of thing possible and these these foods that we all love things like um, bakala and umeboshi and uh, uh, and on and on um, were born out of that kind of um, uh, you know planning ahead being sort of thrifty. And they only can happen because of salt. I think also then uh, on a flavor level, um, salt, uh, as my friend Samin says, like salt makes things taste more like what they are. Yep. Uh, they, mm-hmm. It sort of emphasizes their own innate flavor. And, um, and I think that sometimes people are a little shy about salt, uh, about using salt, or they feel like they're not that confident. They don't know quite how to use it. Uh, which leads leads one to my sort of one rule about cooking, which is that you always need to taste your food. Um, and and one of the things you're often tasting for is um, is salt. I just got Malden salt. What's like the one way you use Malden? Because I'm not sure exactly what to do with it. Yeah, I think Malden is great. I love Malden salt. I actually kind of like snack it. You've probably done this too. You take one of those, you find one of the beautiful little pyramids and you kind of snack on it. Yeah, that's the only thing I've done Um, with it. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, Malden, of course, you're not going to throw a handful of Malden salt into your pasta water because it's all about the texture of the um, of those little crystals. Uh, it's a finishing thing. And I think even – I'd like to put it on like if you were – Hard-boiled eggs is a great place to put it. Um, if you butter a piece of to- uh, bread and put a slice of radish on it, like uh, French-style, that's a great place for that um, kind of salt. Uh, you know, there's and there's Malden. There's also um, there's other salts that are being produced like that now. And you know, they're they're about the texture. So you want to use it in a place where you're gonna you're going to notice that texture. Um, so just finishing things. And also it's quite beautiful. So you want to kind of be able to see it. So I'm always striving to become a more instinctive cook. How can this cookbook help us home cooks with that? What I try and do with my uh, cookbooks is like set a tone that allows you to kind of relax and really cook. And I, I, I really try to be um, not too demanding of my reader I find some cookbooks, even ones that I really admire, there can sometimes be this kind of um, demand for you have to have the right piece of equipment or you have to have just the very best ingredients that can sometimes actually be like a barrier uh, to cooking. So I I always say like, yeah, you should cook with what you have now. Um, You should think about those ingredients and, and think like, you know, I should try and get better turnips. Like these were okay, but next time I'm going to, I saw those really beautiful ones at the farmer's market. I'm going to try and get those. Or, you know, if you only, you know, so many dishes start with onions, carrots, and celery. And if you're missing the carrot, it doesn't mean you shouldn't go ahead and cook with the onions and celery, but you should think about like, what does the carrot bring to it? Like, what, what am I missing here? And maybe next time, you know, I should have some carrots. They last a long time in the fridge. I'll just make sure I have them. And likewise with equipment, you know, if all you have is like, a thin aluminum pan doesn't mean you shouldn't cook dinner tonight, but you should start looking when you're at the flea market next time for some nice um, cast iron that's going to it's going to kind of make you a better cook. Uh, and and as far as like being, um, I I think that also I often offer uh, alternatives to ingredients like if you don't have this, you could use this, um, or if you don't love like in in this book if you do, like if you don't love anchovies and honestly i think if you think you don't love anchovies you actually do love anchovies you just haven't really had them the right way but here's some you know you can use the almonds often in the place of those so i think that i think being an instinctual cook sort of comes down to um i mean the the honest truth is you have to cook a lot you have to you have to find the pleasure in cooking that will encourage you to keep cooking and that will eventually make you a better and more instinctual cook because you're, you know, you've done it before and you're like, you're remembering like, Oh yeah. The other time when I did this, it worked that way. So it'll probably work that way again, or it didn't work out. And so this time I should try and do it a little bit differently. Um, you know, I don't think people should cook a recipe just once. I think they should cook it a couple of times until they feel like they, kind of really get what's happening with that um, with that combination of ingredients. In the almond section, you have a recipe for almond butter and cucumber sandwiches with shallots. Describe this and why is this recipe personal and private for you? You know, I think I think we all sort of have our guilty snacks, our guilty pleasure thing that maybe we don't we try to 
uh, run out of the store before anyone sees us with it in their hands. Um, I have mine. Uh, they're salt. They're salty snacks. Um, I won't say exactly what they are, but um, cheeses. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Uh, but then we also have that thing. I don't know if you have it, but I definitely have these things that, like, uh, especially when I'm working and I'm by myself and I'm just hungry, and I I I go in the kitchen and I start looking around and. And those little sandwiches came out of that, um, out of having that combination of ingredients and just thinking like, oh, that could come together in a really great way that would like satisfy what I need right now. Some nice bread. I like to use the kind of um, dense, grainy bread that um, I think of as being sort of more Northern European kind of bread and uh, either toast it or not, spread it with some nice almond butter uh, a couple slices of cucumbers, a little bit of shallots or scallions that you squeeze a little lemon or lime juice on so it kind of tempers them a little bit. And you put that on top there and it's like a little open face sandwich. It's the kind of thing that I felt like, oh, this is my snack and nobody else would really go for this, that combination of, uh, of things. But then I started to think, you know, actually I think probably everybody has something like this. And so... You know, I included that in the book, not only because I think it's delicious and I think other people might too, but just to encourage people to like, you know, it kind of gets back to that instinctive thing that, um, that's and something we talk about on the podcast is like people have a gate, have, we think people have gateway dishes that they're afraid to cook. They feel like they don't have the instinct for it. But if you can show them that like one thing that they make, that they can make and have success with it can kind of give them the confidence to like, Oh, if I could make that little sandwich that good, maybe I could next time I could do something more with it. Or, uh, you know, it's not that far off from another dish that I I should try that. And, you know, you kind of build on that and your confidence grows and, um, you become better. Yeah. I think a lot of cooking is confidence. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I every time I take a, a lift, uh, you know, ride, um, I always ask my my driver, like, what, you know, do you cook? And a lot of times they'll say no, and I kind of push, you know, I'm like, well, really? Because, you know, it's hard for me to imagine someone who never cooks anything. And, you know, usually they'll admit, they'll, they might say, yeah, no, I don't cook. And I'm like, what about toast? you make toast? And most <laughs> people will admit that they do. And I feel like, you know, that's a, that's cooking. That's a step. I mean, I have a, my in my first book in Twelve Recipes, the first chapter is about toast because you know we've all had toast that's just okay, and then you've also hopefully you've had that time where you're like, oh my god, this is like something really different, and it might be because the bread was really great, or it might be because someone swiped a clove of garlic over it and poured on some delicious olive oil, or it might be just because you're really hungry, but. You know, thinking about what you're being, um, being attentive to what you're doing, being present with um, the ingredients that you have, uh, I think can start to give you that confidence of like, oh, I get it. I get what's happening here in the kitchen and can lead to more, um, to more confidence and, and, 
and eventually to a certain amount of like innovation. So moving on to the anchovy section, you have a recipe for artichokes and new onions baked with anchovies and breadcrumbs. Talk about how you and Russell Moore used to make this dish together at Chez Panisse. Russ and I uh, go way back. We were chefs together uh, at Chez Panisse for for many years. Um, and we also would cook a lot together um, at our at my house or his house with friends. And I just, you know, there was something that would happen when he and I would cook. And there's a few other friends uh, who are cooks that the same kind of synergy happens where, you know, we know each other well enough. Uh, we've cooked together well enough that we, co- we truly collaborate and kind of flow together. It's almost like not to sound too goofy, but it's a little bit like a dance. And, um, sometimes we don't have to talk too much. Uh, we just kind of have this thing where we're really on the same page. And if you've ever had that kind of, um, of an experience of crafting something together with someone, it's, it can be kind of profound and really, um, and really comforting in a way that you have a, you know, a kindred spirit. Um, and, you know, in the book, I talk about how my wife and I cook together and I guess we have something similar, but she, you know, it's not really her thing. I mean, she likes to be with me and we like to chat while we're, while she's spinning the lettuce and I'm making the vinaigrette or whatever. There's just something more that happens with, um, with someone who's in the same, on the same, really on the same page with you. And that's a recipe that Russ and I came up with when we were, um, when we were still cooking at Chez Panisse and, we just wanted to make these little bundles of, you know, it was spring. The artichokes were beautiful. The new onions were amazing. I don't know if you are familiar with new onions, but they kind of look like yes. a giant scallion. And mm-hmm. they're just a great thing to eat raw, to fry, to roast. Uh, they work so many ways, and they're, they're really uh, lovely, too. Sometimes they're kind of purple. Um, so we roasted the onions, we cooked the artichokes, and we kind of curled the onion around the artichoke and put a little bit of anchovy on there and some breadcrumbs of course we put lots of olive oil and baked it and you know breadcrumbs and anchovies and all kind of come together and they were like these little loose bundles that we served with grilled lamb but they're great Uh, they're great anyway they do take a little bit of work because there's artichokes involved and whenever you're cooking with artichokes there's a certain amount of prep um but it's totally worth it and um and the season for them is coming up you know springtime is uh is when those ingredients are at their best. So you mentioned your wife, Kathleen Henderson, mm-hmm. who's an artist. Yeah. And I'm going to read a blurb from Art in America. It says, Henderson's scenarios generally take place against a stark background of blank white paper. That made me think of you <coughs> plating food on a blank white plate. Do your artistic styles converge at all? They do. Um, and maybe not, though, in the way... You might expect. I, I do. Th- it's interesting that you point that out. The the white plate, white um, white paper thing, because I I do think that it just makes me think about it. it's something I said to Alice uh, Alice Waters when I was still at Chez Panisse, and when we travel, we eat in all the restaurants that you know are getting the buzz and stuff. And I came back from a trip one time, and I said, you know, Alice, I think the fact that we're just putting food on a regular 
flat ceramic plate is like a, like an incredible innovation right now because if you're eating at these places where food is served on like a stone or a log or a little dish that you can't even you have to hold in your hand and pull the pin before you eat it or someone spraying bubbles at you or um, I ate a dessert one time that was served on a pillow full of lavender smoke um, so it's funny to think about food being just served on a plate and that that's like um, no one's doing that. Um, so for the pancetta section of the book, mm-hmm. I made your recipe for Brussels sprouts with pancetta, ginger, and cilantro on page That's 147. Great. So let's yeah. talk about that dish. First, can you describe it? I came up with this recipe for Brussels, Brussels sprouts that includes a little pancetta. You could use bacon too, but then it brings in some Asian flavors like ginger, um, cilantro, and Basically, you roast the Brussels sprouts, um, you know, if they're, if they're big, which they usually are kind of a little bit too big to roast whole. I cut them in half. I toss them with a little oil and salt, put them in a nice hot oven. Sometimes you got to splash a little water on the tray if things are starting to get too dark before they get cooked through. Because to me, I want them to be cooked all the way. I don't want to be crunching so much on them. And then you just saute a little bit of, um, a little bit of pancetta. Uh, like I said, you could also use bacon in, um, and in fact, if you were, if you were vegan, you could use almonds here or vegetarian. Uh, you cook the, you cook the, um, the pancetta a little bit. You throw in a little bit of ginger, let that sizzle. And then you do this thing that, that I love to do with herbs is you, you know, so many times herbs are added sort of right at the end, but cooking the herbs in the pan does an amazing thing. It kind of infuses the flavor into the into the fat that you're using. It also sets the color. Um, so I throw in a good handful of cilantro and let it sizzle in there with the pancetta and ginger and then throw the Brussels sprouts that are already cooked in, toss it around, squeeze on some lime juice, taste it, see if it needs a little more lime juice. And that's it. And it's kind of, you know, it's both familiar, but also a little exotic because it's got a little ginger and cilantro. How did yours come out? It was amazing. I'm going to make it for Christmas. Oh yeah, it's the cilantro and the ginger is so unexpected. You just don't. Mm -hmm. You're like, what is that? Oh my gosh! Excellent. I'm so glad to hear that. And I, you know, and it looks nice too, right? It's sort of. It's um, so pretty. Yeah, and you could put a little. I don't know if it's in the recipe. I don't think it is, but um, you know, like so many things, a little bit of uh, hot pepper flakes. If you want something a little spicy, would be nice in there too. So you have a podcast that I adore called Cooking by Ear. Can you tell us about it? So Cooking by Ear is uh, um, a podcast that my partner, Christina Loring, uh, my podcast partner, and I came up with. uh, We had this intention uh, to find a way to make a podcast that could teach you to cook, that you could actually cook along with in real time. When And I call my, my guest or I send an email and we agree on, uh, and I ask them, you know, what would you like me to teach you to cook? And we come up with a dish that, that works in the time that we have. And, um, I show up at their house and the guest is sort of a proxy for the listening audience because we felt like we need to make it, you know, I have so many years of experience cooking and I can get a little too chefy maybe, uh, sometimes. And I want, you know, like with the books, I want it to be very approachable and inclusive. And so, Having a guest who's not a professional cook brings me back to the level of the layperson who's cooking along. And, you know, they keep me in line a little bit if I'm going too fast or if I'm not explaining something enough. 
So we get ourselves set, and when you download the recipe, the uh, episode of Cooking by Ear, you also get a um, uh, an ingredients list, a shopping list. So when you have your ingredients together, uh, and you're in the kitchen, and you got your pots and pans, and you're ready to go, uh, you hit play, and um, and you cook along with us in real time. The episodes are 40 to 50 minutes. Like for example, the first episode was with. Um, the actress Frances McDormand, who was just wonderful and funny. And um, so we went to her house and while we cut the onions, you cut the onions. And then while the onions are cooking, it takes a little while. So we talked to Fran about how she's a, she decided to be a pagan mom, or we talk about how her husband, Joel Cohen um, loves to make pies. And then when the onions are done and we start cooking the risotto, uh, you do the same, and then while the while simmering along, we talk to Fran about the way her mother would make these salads or whatever. So you get, and at the end of it, you're cooking along with us. Of course, you can hit pause if you know your timing is off, or if you get called away for something for a second. Um, but it, but the idea is, 45 minutes later, you've not only heard these funny stories about Frances McDormand and gotten to sort of get to know her in a more intimate way because you're kind of in her kitchen with us, but you also have a pot of um, risotto done and you've learned to make it. You know, I don't know if you've heard the one with Fran, but it's hilarious. And there's a lot of other ones that are that are really funny and sometimes sad and poignant. Um, I did. And, and worth I, a listen. I loved that she gave you a tour of her kitchen. So in my head, I have this visual of her kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And she showed us some of her favorite. Yeah like plates and uh-huh. things like that. Um, yeah. And we, uh, you know, we've, we've been really lucky. And for me, I've learned as much from our guests as, um, as hopefully they have learned from me, but we've been really lucky with um, getting amazing people to, to join us in the kitchen. And I've found that, um, that when you are around food and you're eating and you're cooking, you have a task that, it opens a, a door a little wider into into people's lives. Um, so we in the episode, in season one we also cooked with um, the amazing uh, poet Tommy Pico, uh, director Mira Nair who made uh, Mississippi Masala and Monsoon Wedding. We cooked with Alexander Payne who made um, Sideways and uh, Downsizing. He was really hilarious. Uh, we went to New Orleans and switch the format up a little bit. And um, the uh, hip-hop artist, um, Big Frida, showed us how to make her booty pop and potatoes. Okay, was... stop. What else did she show you how to do? <laughs> she, um, she gave me a lesson. I'm not going to say that she taught me how to twerk because <laughs> I absolutely cannot twerk. Uh, oh but she God. gave me a twerk. She gave me a twerking lesson and... Um, and I can tell you, she summed it up. Actually, she she got very excited because she she said that we gave her a new um, a new hook for a song. Yeah, and, and then she had to like write this. it down. Yeah, she ran and wrote it down, and she ran and told her boyfriend uh, that she just got it. And it goes like this: You put your hands on your hip and you arch your back. You put your booty in the air and you shake it like that. Oh, twerk it like that. <laughs> uh, and um, it turns out I can't. I can't really get low enough. I, I need to do much more, um, like Squats. Pilates or something, in order to be able to, uh, in order to be able to twerk right. Oh Have you ever tried God. to do it? No. 
no, yeah. You'll, you know, I thought like, oh my God, I'm going to hurt myself. They're going to have to call. <laughs> Throw call something out. <laughs> Well, I think it's great. There are so many food podcasts out there just talking about food, but I think it's so brilliant that you're in the kitchen and we can hear your conversation and the cooking sounds. I love it. So that takes me to my segment called My Last Meal. What would you order for your last supper? I was thinking about this and it's a dish that I've been like a little bit obsessed with and I'm not alone and it's um, spaghetti cacio e pepe. Do you know cacio e pepe? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I interviewed a cookbook author yesterday and she said the very same thing. Okay. Well, uh, that's because it's, it's the most delicious and comforting. I would demand that it's um, spaghetti cacio e pepe and it's made with one very, very long strand of spaghetti that just kind of goes on and on and on. <laughs> and I would slurp it up slowly. <laughs> Never and I'd ask for a gla- Yeah, I'd ask for a glass of cheap red wine to go with it. <laughs> where can we find you on the web, social media, and where can we find your podcast? Uh, I, my website is uh, calpeternell.com. On social media, I'm at calpeternell, one word. And um, the podcast is available everywhere. You get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, you know, at all the all the podcast places. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Cal, for coming on Cookery by yeah. the Book Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book Podcast, the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.